Good morning. I'll be reading from the Gospel of Luke, second chapter, verses 36 through 38. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. Then as a widow at the age of 84, she never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer, night and day. At the moment she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. The word of God for the people of God. Well, many years ago, back when I was a brand new pastor, I got appointed to my, my very first church. And I was nervous going into that first church. I really wanted to do a good job. I wanted the people to like me. And, and so I looked for some inside information. I called up a, a grizzled veteran pastor who had served that church and, and still knew the people in the church. And I asked him if I could take him out for coffee and, and pick his brain a little bit. So we went out for coffee. And, and I asked him, I said, tell me about the people in this congregation. What are they like? What, what sorts of things do they expect from from their pastor. And this, this grizzled veteran pastor, he said to me, well, he said, I think you'll find that the people in that church really only, only are looking for two things from their pastor. They want you to preach a good sermon, and they want you to visit Miss Polly. And if you do both of those things regularly enough, then you won't have any trouble with them at all. They'll love you, and they'll take good care of you. And and your family. And I said to the pastor, I said, well, I understand about preaching a good sermon. I understand why, why that's important. But tell me about Miss Polly. Who is, who is Miss Polly? He said, well, Miss Polly was, was the church organist for about 70 years. And he said, she, she can't come into worship anymore. She lives in a care home now. But the people of that congregation, they still love her dearly. And they want to know that the pastor goes out to see her every so often so that, so that they still feel that she's a part of the congregation, that she's a part of their, their church family. And I said, well, thanks for that tip. I really appreciate that. I'll go out and see Miss Polly right away. That doesn't sound too difficult. That doesn't, that doesn't sound too hard, I said. That's what I thought. That's what I thought until the first time I went out to visit Miss Polly. The first time I went out to visit Miss Polly, I arrived at the care home and I discovered that she was in a care home for people with memory impairment. And, and so I went to the nurse at the front desk and I asked to see Miss Polly. The nurse led me back to Miss Polly's room and, and let me into the room and introduced me to Miss Polly. But I don't think Miss Polly heard a word that she said. Miss Polly was sitting there in her chair and she was staring off into the, the distance as if she were in her own sort of a world. I sat down there in the room with Miss Polly, and, and I tried to talk to her. I tried to, to reach her, to get through to her wherever she was, but it just wasn't doing any good. No matter what I said, she just kept on staring off into, into the distance, trapped in, in her own world. And, and I will confess that as I was sitting there, not, not having any success connecting with Miss Polly at all, I started to get frustrated. At that point in my ministry, I didn't have a lot of experience with older, older church members. I had very little experience with, with people with memory issues, and I started to get frustrated. I started to sit there and think, do people really expect me to come out here and do this regularly? Is this the best use of my time to, to come and sit with somebody who doesn't even know that I'm here and won't even remember that I, that I visited? I got frustrated sitting there with Miss Polly, and finally I ran out of things to say. 
And then we just sat there, the two of us, me and my frustration and her in, in her own world, wherever that was. And then as we were sitting there in silence, suddenly this, this remarkable thing happened. Miss Polly started, started moving her hands. And at first I thought that she was agitated. I thought maybe I had upset her in some way. But then I realized that she wasn't just waving her hands around. She was playing an invisible keyboard. She was, was playing an organ that only she could see. And then as she played this invisible keyboard, she started to hum, and then finally she began to sing. And I'll never forget the, the hymn that she sang the first time I went to her room and visited her there at the care home. She, as she played with her fingers, started singing, Immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light, inaccessible, hid from our eyes. And as she was playing, I started to sing along with her the, the words that I remembered. And she played all the way, all the way through the hymn. I took, I took enough piano lessons as a boy to recognize that she was playing real chords with her fingers, that she was picking out the very melody that we're singing with her fingers. Her fingers were in the right place, even if I couldn't see the keyboard. She sang, and we sang all the way through that hymn. And then when she finished the hymn, she just sort of fell back in her chair. And for the first time since I'd walked into the room, she smiled. She had this, this peaceful smile, this look of contentment on her face as if she could see something wonderful that nobody else could see. And that, that day there in that room with Miss Polly, I experienced something that I've experienced with, with her and with many other church members in the years since then. I discovered in that room there with Miss Polly that, that there are people in our church family who have been so deeply formed and shaped and molded by years and years of worship. That when everything else fades away, when their memories fade away, when even the memories of the people who they love and family members fade away, the one thing that remains, the one thing that never disappears is that, that faith, that worship, the songs, the prayers, the hymns that they sang Sunday after Sunday after Sunday in the pews sitting at the keyboard of the organ of the church. I've had this experience over and over again with, with so many people. You know, I've been in, in care homes. Uh, sitting by the side of the bed of someone who is completely unresponsive until you start to say the, the words of the Lord's Prayer and then suddenly their lips start moving and then they are there, they're saying the prayer with you for just one moment. That prayer pulls them, pulls them back into this world. I've been in hospital rooms standing by the, the bedside of someone who is writhing in pain and convulsing in agony until you start to sing the words of some old familiar hymn. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross and suddenly they're body unclenches and their face relaxes and they lie back in their bed and begin to breathe and they get that same peaceful look that I saw in the face of Miss Polly. I've had this experience even with people here in our, our Court Street church family. There was a man named George Rizé. George, George used to sit way back there in the back pew under, under the balcony. Now George passed away what, seven, seven, eight months ago back in I think September. George passed away and in the months before he died, George was, was in a care home. And as, as I went to visit him week by week through those months that he was in the home, George remembered me less and less and less until it got to the point where I would walk into his room and, and he wouldn't recognize me at all. He didn't, know, he didn't know who I was. But then I would sit down across from George and I would introduce myself. I'd say, hi, George. I, maybe, maybe you remember me. I'm Pastor Jeremy. And George would look at me and he would say, oh, you're a, you're a pastor. He would say, which, which church do you, do you serve? 
I would say, well, George, I'm, I'm one of the pastors at the Court Street United Methodist Church. And suddenly, George's face would light up, and he would lean forward. And then George would start talking a mile a minute about how much he missed this church and how much he loved this church and all of the memories that he had of this church through the years. George would, would tell me, he would say, he would confess to me. He would say, you know, when we're in chapel here at the care home on Sundays, I sit in my chair, and I close my eyes, and I imagine that I am back there at Court Street Church. I picture the pews and the windows, and I picture my friends, he said, and it gives me such a feeling of peace to, to go there in my, in my imagination back to Court Street Church. And sometimes, every once in a while, George would say, he would say, you know, when, when it gets to be too painful, when I'm having a day when, when I'm really hurting, George had back and hip issues too, when I'm having a day when I'm really hurting, he said, I would close my eyes and, and I picture myself there in the pew, and then I picture that Jesus is sitting next to me, and I just talk to him, and I say, Lord, it is hard today, and I am hurting today, and I need you to help me. And George said, Jesus always helps me through the pain. He always helps to carry me through. There are people in our church family who have been so shaped and formed and molded by years and years of worship and music and prayers and, and just living in church community together that when everything else fades away, the one thing thing that remains is, is worship, is faith, is that connection to the church and that connection to God. And, and I have come to believe over the years, I've come to believe that, that those people, they're, they're now the favorite, my favorite thing on my, my to-do list. When I put together my, my calendar for the month, my favorite days are the days when I get to go to the care homes and sit with, sit with the members of our church family who have absorbed all of those years of prayer and worship and, and singing. I love to see them. They're a treasure. They're a treasure of the church. And, and in this morning's gospel reading, we have the story of one of those saints, one of those people in God's family who has been shaped and molded and formed by years and years of worship. So in today's gospel reading, we have a story from very early in the life of Jesus. You know, at this point in the gospel story, Jesus is only a few weeks old. And at this point in the gospel story, Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, are, are tired and exhausted and worried and stressed out. Mary and Joseph have been through a lot by this point in the story. They've, they've traveled far from home. They had a baby in an unfamiliar place. At this point in the story, they spent weeks, weeks as a brand new family, newlyweds, new baby, as a brand new family, living in, in this house that is packed to the gills with aunts and uncles and, and grandparents and cousins. They haven't had elbow room in months. They haven't had peace and quiet and space to breathe in, in months. And at this point in the story, all that Mary and Joseph want is the chance to go home and relax. At this point in the story, Mary and Joseph are filled with, with fear and worry and doubt. They're wondering, can we do this? Can we make this marriage work? Can we be successful parents? Can we raise this child who angels have talked to us about? At this point in the story, Mary and Joseph are feeling tired and overwhelmed. But before they can go home, there's one more thing they need to do. They need to take their baby to the temple. They need to take Jesus to the temple, present him to God, and make the sacrifice that, that families in those days would make whenever they had a firstborn son. 
And so Joseph and Mary one day pack up the minivan, they put the diaper bag in the the van, and they they put the stroller, which they haven't really figured out how to assemble yet, in the van. And then they start driving into Jerusalem to, to get to the temple. By the time they get to the temple, Joseph and Mary are cranky, and they're getting on each other's nerves. Mary keeps saying, Joseph, look out for that camel. And Joseph keeps saying, don't you think I can see the camel? I can see. It's a great big camel in the middle of the road. I'm not going to hit the camel. They get lost three times on the way to the temple because of all the one-way streets. It takes them forever to find a place to park. And then finally, they arrive at the temple. They carry the baby into the temple feeling more defeated and overwhelmed and exhausted than they ever have in their entire lives. They walk into this temple that is filled, filled with people and all of this noise and activity and things happening. And that is when they meet this woman, Anna. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us very much about Anna. The Bible only tells us really three things for sure about Anna. The first thing that the Bible tells us about Anna is that she is a prophet. Anna is is one of these people who has a deep connection to God. And when Anna speaks, people listen because they believe that in Anna's voice, they can hear the voice of God. Anna is, is a prophet to God's people. The second thing the Bible tells us about Anna is that Anna is old. It's not entirely clear how old Anna is. The, the Bible says that, that Anna was married for seven years And then it it either says that she lived as a widow to the age of 84 or, or the Bible says she lived as a widow for 84 years. Nobody's really sure exactly what what those words mean. And so, so imagine now if Anna was 14, 15 years old when she got married, that was normal back in those days. And then she was married for seven years and then she lived as a widow for 84 years. That means that Anna at this point in the story is at least 105 years old. Anna is good and proper. Old. And then finally, the, the last thing that we know about Anna is that Anna lives, eats, sleeps, and breathes worship. Anna lives at the temple. I don't just mean that, like, we have, we have people at the Court Street Church who are, are wonderful. We have some incredible ladies in our congregation who are here at the church more than I am here at the church. And they fold newsletters and they eat donuts and drink coffee and talk to the people in the office and go to meetings and arrange flowers and do all sorts of things around the church. And it seems like They never leave, but Anna literally never, never left the temple. Day and night, she stayed in the temple. She, I don't know if they gave her a room somewhere, if she just curled up in a corner. She never left the temple. Year after year, decade after decade, she lived her days surrounded by the sound of prayer and the sound of music, singing hymns to God. And and by this point in her life, Anna has been so shaped and formed and molded by all of that worship that she can see things other people cannot see. She can perceive things other people do not perceive. And one day Anna looks across this crowded temple and she sees a couple holding a baby. She sees this couple who are, are clearly wearing their best Sunday go-to-temple clothes, but even so, they're, they're clearly poor. The clothes are, are threadbare and, and worn, and they have got bags under their eyes like new parents do. They look overwhelmed and exhausted, and then Anna looks, and she sees the baby that they're holding in their arms, and she sees something in this ordinary-looking baby that ordinary eyes cannot perceive. She sees something that makes her hurry across the temple as fast as her 150 
five-year-old legs will carry her. She walks right up to Mary, takes the baby out of her arms, holds the baby up in the air, and then there in the temple, Anna begins to sing and dance that baby around the temple. She sings songs of praise to God. She praises God for sending their people a Savior. She praises God for hearing the cries of God's people. And as, as this strange woman dances her baby around the temple, all that, all that Mary and Joseph can do is, is simply watch in amazement. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but I have to imagine that in that moment, as they watch Anna dance Jesus around the temple, I imagine that they felt their doubt and their fear and their tiredness beginning to, to fade away. The Bible doesn't tell us that, but I believe that's what happened for Mary and Joseph in that moment, because that, that is what I have experienced over and over again when I find myself in the presence of these gray-haired saints of, of God's family. You know, there are moments in my life as a pastor when I find myself overwhelmed and, and filled with doubt. There are days when even as a pastor, I have a hard time believing that God is real. There are days as a pastor that I have a hard time seeing God's hand at work in this world. But those days, those days are never the days when I go to visit the nursing homes. What I've found in my years as a pastor is that when I sit in the presence of these, these members of God's family who have been shaped by all of those years of worship, I discover that their faith is contagious. I discover that their faith can live in my heart. I discover over and over again in their presence that, that it's easy. It's easy to be sure of the things that we hope for, and it's easy. It's easy to see things, see things that the ordinary eye cannot see. Let's pray. God, we pray. God, we pray that you would give us the faith of Miss Polly. Give us the faith of George Rose. Give us the faith of Anna. God, we pray that in the things that we do in this place, you would begin to shape us and form us and mold us until we can believe in things that our eyes cannot see. God, we pray that you would awaken us to the invisible reality all around us. Help us to lean on things, lean on things that other people don't believe in. God, meet us in this place. In Jesus we pray. Amen.